the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we are back. The time, 6.09. We are in the second hour. We have three lines open. one 888 If you want to call about any topic whatsoever, you want to continue on the topic that we're talking about, I appreciate Carol's call on... Uh, I can only imagine. Look forward to uh, your observations of the movie if you've saw it, if you've seen it, as did I and my wife. Um, we really do recommend the movie. It's short, quick, powerful, uh, impressing in terms of its uh, its uh, theological um, uh, reference to, as Caldeat said, the forgiveness of sins. Our main th- the main theme of the movie, as I saw it, is the forgiveness of sins, forgiveness, which is the the uh, what we would call the commodity of the gospel, the 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 um, the payoff for the atonement, the the necessary uh, uh, commodity by which God in his holiness can then then bring a sinner into relationship with him in order for God to have us. He must forgive us. And then he mandates us to walk in that same forgiveness, which um, the movie then calls our attention to the tension between the old testament, uh, old nature and the new nature. Uh, it really does. And you guys know at the heart of a thriving Christian is either forgiveness or not. If you're not walking in a robust, continual uh, disposition of forgiving others, you will not experience God's forgiveness at the level of growth, maturity and flourishing spiritually. So there are a lot of Christians that are fruitless simply because of that area of their life. They are, they're not walking in the forgiveness of God. That's Matthew 6, as well as the parable that Jesus gave of the, of the man who had a business and had a young, a young creditor out there that was uh, exploiting his business to the tune of uh, what would be considered billions of dollars today. And when he was called to give an account, the owner of the business forgave him, frankly, of all his debt. And then he went out and started bringing other people around the neck. And uh, that outrageous in the Gospel of Matthew, that outrageous parable demonstrates how one can allegedly embrace the Christian faith and forgiveness of sins for themselves and not walk in it for others. Uh, it, 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 it almost seems unbelievable, but the reality is, is that that's a real problem for Christians. And it destroys everything in terms of the witness of God and the um, fellowship of the church and the fellowship of the saints. A lack of forgiveness is really uh, uh, one of the fruits of, again, narcissism, kind of just stuck on self. Uh, Forgiveness is such a functional key in this relationship that when you understand that God has forgiven you, that God does forgive you, that God will forgive you, and you understand that forgiveness is the only way to sustain relationship with God, forgiveness. When you understand that God is so holy, so righteous, so pure, so perfect, and in his infinite wisdom, he saw only one way to have a relationship with you, 
is that to to provide a forgiveness platform that sustains the relationship. Otherwise, the moment you transgress against him, he has to destroy you. And then when we think about the forgiveness price that the father paid through the son, this is why we ought to love the gospel. We ought to love the gospel. It ought to move us. It ought to save us, rescue us. It ought to thrill us. It ought to humble us. It ought to change us. Our hearts and minds should be filled with the gospel. I can tell you this. There is no glory in the gospel where we don't understand the impact of forgiveness, both vertically and horizontally. There's no glory there. That's why a lot of people are bored with the gospel. The movie was powerful along the lines of restoration of the relationship, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Restoration of the relationship. Let me go to line two and talk with to to Marco and Vallejo. Marco, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's your question, observation, or comment, sir? Well, uh, I want to I see, uh, facilitate a men's uh, fellowship. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was barber shop, so uh, we all went to go see the movie. And, oh, did you? Man, it was. Oh man, it was impactful. I mean, I'm talking about. I'm just expecting to see a real good movie with a great. Uh, you had a great message, but it just the uh, impact on, just the. I mean, a face full of tears. I was just uh, blown away by all the messages, and um, I know one thing that I pulled away from the movie was understanding uh, reconciliation, which which you were talking about earlier. Just yeah, yeah. Most, it's surprising how most believers just do not understand what reconciliation is, and. I mean, you can even see it in uh, the divorces among Christians, you know, just that, um, you know, just, and I'm talking about not over, you know, uh, adultery. I'm just talking about just simple things that they just can't get along. You I know? agree. And, yeah, I'm just understanding uh, reconciliation and uh, how yeah, him and his father uh, at the end was able to patch it back up and he was able to see, and his father was able to, uh, they was able to reconcile the relationship and, um, just a quick story just on how, you know, I got saved, just understanding reconciliation. I had a dream. Uh, this I was out in the world, but I ended up having a dream, and my son was on the cross. And he was uh, at three years, he was three years old at the time, but he was a grown man on the cross. Yeah. And he was being crucified. Yeah. And uh, I was fighting against these people trying to get him off the cross, and I couldn't get him off the cross, and I was just weeping profusely. And God, uh, you know, the dream paused, and God spoke to me, and he said, um, this is what my son did for you. He died for you, and he was showing he, he showing me what he did for me through my own son being a father. And it, man, it told me up. Yeah. Uh, I mean that that was over eleven years ago, and I've been strong for Christ ever since. You talk about a complete turnaround the next day. Stop drinking. Yeah. Stop. You know, just a whole bunch of things, and yeah. I just and I really got a true understanding of what reconciliation is for the body of Christ and what he did for us on the body of Christ and how we should treat each other. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, you know, that, that's the movie just really brought up all the emotions from understanding reconciliation and, and from my dream and just how I got, uh, converted to be a believer. And, yeah. uh, it just was a powerful movie. I love the, I love the fact that you have honed in on reconciliation because that was the byproduct of all of the struggle of the first three quarters of the movie. And I'm glad you got it. That's what I meant by the communion between the father and the son restored. Uh, and I definitely appreciate it, Marco. Uh, you, you say you run a shop or are you just working one? No, actually, uh, I don't work there. Uh, my god brother, uh, actually, um, runs a shop and him and his, uh, another friend, Donald, and, uh, we, we've been teaching, uh, a, a men's belt, uh, 
a Bible study or fellowship out of the barbershop for the last eight years. That's sweet, man. Done. That's sweet. So yeah. there, how many brothers made it out to the movie with you? Uh, I think we had about eight brothers. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. What movie theater? Uh, we were in Richmond. Uh, I forgot the name of the uh, movie theater we were at, but we were in Richmond. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, were they, what, what, may, might I assume that most of these brothers are, were African-American? Uh, well, not all of them, but, yeah, we have a mixed group, you know, that come out. But, yeah, it was a, a majority of them are African-American, but we do have a, a mixed group. No, I love that. But, that's uh, why I, That's why I said majority. I'd love that because the fellowship that I'm that I run out at in Hayward, man, we're multi-ethnic, too. It's just it's multi-ethnic. But one of the things I know is that, and, and this is growing more and more even with our Caucasian brothers, but certainly with uh, Latinos and African-Americans, the broken relationship between fathers and sons is huge. And so that yeah. Movie, that movie immediately drew the African American young men into the struggle. I know what you meant by that. You know, for me, mine was largely my dad was absent, but even when he was there, there was a, a measure of abuse in terms of his own selfish goals that I could immediately identify with in terms of the way the movie was panning itself out in the early struggle elements. And for African American men, that needs to be. Uh, that really does need to be understood that the movie was championing. It was championing reconciliation because reconciliation, the the absence of it is the reason why our prisons are filled with um, Latinos and African-Americans right now is because of a lack of father, son, healthy, robust relationships from from early on. And for you to be able to see the profound passion of the father in the son in your dream with your own son is the nature of the scriptures in terms of a father-son paradigm as the means by which uh, sinners are brought back to God. God means for us to see uh, that what he did in giving his son was not just merely an academic pro, uh, perfunctory on God's part. He really did sacrifice his heart when he placed his son on the cross. He gave his heart. The son is the son of his bosom. He is the one who dwells in the essence and heart of God, the father and so for God to give his son was to give himself in a very real sense, less his person. And it is meant for us to understand the greatness of the father's love through the son to us. And if we get it, it means the third person, the Holy Ghost, has shed the love of God in Christ in our hearts. And it's what radically changes us from what we were to what we are. And I'm sure you agree with that. Yes, I do. Yeah, man. Thanks for the call, bro. Thanks for the call. I got to take a break. Three lines open. one 367 Three lines open. We can keep talking about this. We can expand on this. We can resonate on this. And I'd love to hear from other brothers who saw the movie just like Marco. Uh, and I'm glad he called in and talked about it. This is what we want to do uh, as we continue to, to uh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And one of the beauties is the art forms of life that can bring uh, a message, a biblical propositional truth uh, to bear on our souls through that kind of form. one 367 one I'll be right back. 
And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. The time, 623. 30 minutes to go. Two lines open, one 367 Two lines open, one 367 If you want to call and chime in on our topic, I can only imagine having some great callers on it. We're able to reflect on a number of themes uh, within that movie. First and foremost, the theme, the overarching theme of forgiveness is critical to our Reality of salvation. The second fundamental theme is the father-son paradigm. There are three overarching covenant themes in your Bible with which you cannot understand your Bible uh, in terms of the way God reveals his redemptive purposes. It's first a father-son paradigm. It's a king-servant paradigm, and then it's a husband-wife paradigm. In the early portions of your Bible, if I were to break them up into a triad, the early portions of your your Bible are patriarchal. The early portions of your Bible are patriarchal from Genesis all the way to Exodus. They are patriarchal. In fact, through Exodus on into the book of First Samuel, it is patriarchal. That is a father-son paradigm. From the father to the son, from the father to the son, the son becomes a father. He has a son. The son becomes a father. He has a son. As we were talking this Saturday at our men's breakfast at Progressive Baptist, that the passing of the baton by God in terms of the gospel is to be done within the family from father to son, as Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, as Moses to Joshua. As Elijah to Elisha, as David to Solomon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the passing of the gospel, as Acts 2 puts it. The promises to you and to your children and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the responsibility of fathers to train their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and particularly the father-son paradigm. That's the only way Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 1. The obedience of fathers to God from Genesis to Matthew chapter 1. And then the obedience of Joseph to sustain a relationship with Mary, even though there is a scandal around the gospel of it, God's son enters into the world. Glorious. It's a father-son paradigm. And then my brother Marco talked about reconciliation. Well, that is really the heartbeat of the Christian life. But it's so dangerous, isn't it? Because we love the sweet morsel of unforgiveness. It sustains our autonomy. It gives us a sense of righteousness. There's only a false righteousness. In the movie, that's what the young man learned. He learned that his Christianity did not reach to the level of loving his dad. And he had to work that through because he came home and found out, guess what? God changed his father and he had nothing to do with it. Right. And so, you know, the movie is powerful in that regard. And there are many men out there today that are longing for and looking for their dads. And uh, you might find them and they may become saved. They may not. What you have to discover is that there is one heavenly father who will never leave you nor forsake you so long as you don't abandon him. Let's go to line number uh, 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 four, not line number three and talk with Rosie in Fremont. Rosie, are you there? I am, and you were talking about this movie, and I don't even know what movie it is. What movie is this? <laughs> it's, it just came out a couple of weeks ago called I Can Only Imagine. Now, it's not a secular movie. It's a Christian movie, Rosie. Okay. So that what means you uh, – it's found in most theater, theaters right now. You can – you're in Fremont? 
Yes. There are a couple of theaters around that you could catch it. Now, I do matinees because I ain't paying no $17, $18 for no movie. I'm old school. I'm going to pay six, seven, eight bucks. That's just how I do it. Plus, matinee days, you ain't got a whole lot of people in the theater. And I'm, <laughs> anyhow, the movie, uh, I, I hate for, I hate the fact that you, uh, haven't seen it and you're listening to us expound on all of the themes and actions of the movie. I mean, should you even go see the movie now, Rosie? Yes, I still want to see the movie. (laughs) What's the the name of the movie? It's called I Can Only Imagine. Oh, okay. I was at the, I was at the movie. I'm going to hang up and go to the movie. Okay. You do that. I'll talk to you later. Blessings. So now me and my wife are in, I've got three lines open, one 888 three lines open, one 888 unless you're going to do like Rosie, just go to the movie if you haven't seen it. But I and my wife were in the movie theater and we were fortunate enough again to go at a time where there's only two or three people. And here's how you know that you're on the right track when it comes to serving God. You're just not on the broad road. You're not on the broad road. Now, we went to see uh, uh, the Black Panther, and there were all kind of people in the movie theater, even though it was matinee. And they were noisy and stuff like that, but we made it through because we sat in a section that allowed us to be able to just kind of focus. That was cool. We understood that. Black Panther for black people. It was all cool. You guys heard us talk about that. Do the gospel on that. But then we knew, at least I did, I knew going into the movie theater, particularly at matinee time, that there would be hardly no one in the theater. And there wasn't. The theater was largely ours. But you know what was interesting? In God's providence, he had three, let's see, five saints sit right in the row under us because, you know, you have tiered seats. Five saints sit in the row right under us, and the theater could hold hundreds, and there's only about 12 or 15 of us in the theater. The other eight, nine people that were in the theater were members of churches that we know, <laughs> and they, they knew me and my wife when we came out of the movie theater, and it happens to be Pastor uh, Gary Matar's members over at uh, Faith Fellowship. They were sitting in front of us, and you know, uh, so we got a chance to enjoy the movie together and then talk about it on the way out. How come? Narrow is the road. Narrow is the road. One line open, one 888 Let me go to line number two and talk with Cherie in Vallejo. Cherie, are you there? Yes, I am here. Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Um, um, I was out and about um, shopping uh, when I heard you guys earlier uh, mm-hmm. when Shay was talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, Valentine's Day. Okay. And, you know, I heard her, her testimony and everything. And I just want to give encouragement to all single yep. because yep. I'm, I'm, a, I'm divorced and everything. Yeah. And um, I was, you know, the woman at the well, you know, trying to do it my own way. And um, I finally, I finally uh, listened to the Lord and uh, just took a break from all that. And he had to sit me down and explain what love was really about, because Mm. I thought I knew what love was about, but I didn't have have a clue. And um, being single, you guys know. Um, you can't have sex until till you're married. Okay. Preach it, girl. Preach and, it. Yeah, yeah. So that now you know. Now you now you now you now you, now you, now you, you know. Now, Sheree, 
Now you know, mm-hmm. you know. Are you are you are you are you done with the world of holy matrimony? Are are you gonna are you gonna position yourself if the Lord is calling you to it to another uh, to another opportunity? Yeah, yeah, of course. But I I had to understand, you know, my role and stuff because you know when when, when you're fornicating out there, right. you are causing your brother to stumble, and that's not nice. I agree. That's. Yeah, that's that's being selfish and and you know wearing clothes that are seductive and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you're married and in the privacy of the bedroom, you can do the Victoria's Secret and all that. I agree with but, you fully. I agree with you. You, you know fully. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I so just he had to teach me what love was all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I want a relationship that's heaven bound, yeah. not hell bound. I agree. I agree with you. So. And you there you go. And you are encouraging um all sisters out there along those lines, um, as would be the same with Shay. I think Shay is on a good path, don't you? I think that sister uh, understanding the closeness of her walk with, with her heavenly father will prepare her for um a, a proper uh, mate down the line as long as she continues uh, uh worshiping and waiting on the Lord, right? Right, right. And then you talk about maturity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when you become mature, you start growing, then you'll say, Lord, thank you for not letting me meet somebody um, way back then. Agreed. Because I was so immature. Agreed. And the person that I would have gravitated would have still had a lot of role, role in him. Right. And then as I mature, he's going to think he's been hoodwinked. Right. He's like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. We used to do that and that and fornicate and do all this kind of stuff. And now, what? Yep. This is, I didn't sign up for this. Yep. Now, see, the thing is, have, now, see, the thing is, mm-hmm. it, what I love about what you're saying, but, I, you know, I, I'm so curious as to, to um, how it is that you have so boldly entered into this place because most, most young women capitulate. Um, I've been pastoring for a long time. I'm a man. Um, uh-huh. I have a beautiful wife. I ain't got no problem in any of those areas of um, attractiveness and uh, loveliness and the absolute splendor of all that femininity means. So I'm not some uh-huh. some I'm not some brother that's mad and uh, don't understand all of the full potential of you guys fullness. I, I do. I get it. I love it and appreciate it. Now, the real challenge in our culture is that. Um, we've got a lot of men and women who call themselves Christians and profess to be believers, but who are not at all engaged in a biblical approach to relationships at all. So we just finished a three week course on rules of engagement where we dealt with biblical principles of dating. And it sounds like you got it inherently. And yet what a lot of young women would say is that, well, pastor, you know, if we don't hedge and fudge, uh, we won't. We won't get a man. Now, what I'm uh-huh, what uh-huh, I'm saying uh-huh. is this, and, and and you can affirm me for before I let you go. Do you want a man or do you want a husband? All right, now. Right, because actually they are different. Just like I teach concerning women, when you understand the biblical concept of womanhood, you understand that there's a distinction between a woman and a wife. So when the Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and he obtains favor of the Lord, he's actually finding a woman who has prepared herself to be a wife. And those are two different callings, the calling of women and the calling of wifery, 
um, Cherie, is two different things. This is what our sisters are about to learn for the next 10 weeks in our women's theology class. To be a woman is a wonderful thing in and of itself. You are not deficient in any area. But to be a wife takes on a whole nother set of characteristics and qualities essential to you entering into a complementarian relationship with a husband. So what you want what you want, Cherie, is a husband. You want a man that's qualified to actually execute the roles of a husband. Because if you just have a man, you're going to have a problem. Oh, yeah. Been there, done that. Okay, so you understand inherently the deficiency of a brother just being a man, not actually being able to bring to the table all of the husbandry qualities that are essential for y'all making a house a home and a home a family. You, you know that, right? Right, and I just want to say this right quick. I want an Isaac, not an Ishmael, because Ishmael's come, you know, a, di- a dime a dozen. Agree. But I want a, I, I want an Isaac, and then the and then the Lord do not want you to commit idolatry. Now, a brother that's in Christ is going to say, "Oh, you love me more than you love God." That's idolatry, and it's not going to work out. That's right. Totally. You got it. See, you got it. And and fundamentally, I would say that a man who is truly a Christian will do what a woman who is truly a Christian will do as well. They will both be taught how to be husbands and wives. That doesn't come naturally. We have to be taught that. And that's where premarital education is critical to the calling, because the reason why so many divorces occur is because we don't actually understand that I might be a man, I might be a woman, but am I a wife and am I a husband? And if I'm not, God has to make me one in order for me to actually be adequately um, service oriented to my spouse, because we got to serve one another. And have peace. That's right. Because how, 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 how can two walk together unless they agree? Now you're preaching again. <laughs> Thanks for the well, call. Well, God bless everyone. <laughs> I love my family, my Christian family, yes, and indeed. non-Christians. That's Come right. on aboard. Come on aboard. Know, Come on aboard. Bless you, Sheree. Bless you. Blessings. 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 I got to take a break. Got one line open, one triple eight three six seven two lines now, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. My sister's been coming through. I got one brother, I think. Come on now, let's let's talk about this and stay on this particular frame of subject. Why? Well, these are the months of marriage. February, March, April, May, and June are the months of marriage, and uh, we are in the last covenant paradigm. That's the husband, wife, Christ in the church. We got to do a better job for our downline. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back. The time is 642. We are moving fast towards the end of our program. Let's go to line number three and talk with Michelle in San Jose. Michelle, are you there? Yes, I am. Great. How are you today? I'm doing great, sir. How are you, Pastor? Excellent. What's your thoughts or comments or observation? Um, I would love to attend your women's conference yes is that only for the members of your church or is that for anyone it's for everyone not just anyone for everyone i wish men would attend it (laughs) although it's really a sisterhood 
of course, it's our 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 classes are available to everybody that really wants to actually have more of an aggressive approach to biblical um, studies, and it's it's always been that way. We always have um, brothers and sisters from from several different congregations participating in our studies, particularly the women's class. Our women's class, largely, Michelle is a very enthusiastic group of women. Um, who are eager to just have some women time around um, a rich pursuit of God through the scriptures. And it's always eclectic, always sisters from different, um, different congregations and what have you. So the doors are wide open. If you feel like you have the time to make it out now, you're in San Jose. Yes. That's my next question. I'm in San Jose and I don't like driving at night. So is there any way I can, Get a ride online or yeah, I I am sure that what I'm going to do now, I'll tell you what you can do. Are you able to call our office? Do you know anything about our ministry in Hayward? Uh, no, I do not. But uh, a member of a church that I used to attend, that his him and his wife now go to your church. Okay. Um, do you know their names? His name is, because he's my son's friend, I might not pronounce it right, so I'm not going to even try. I might embarrass him. (laughs) He might be listening. I agree. Okay. So we'll leave that that part alone. And, uh, And I would simply say that. Um, if you want to, you can call the office and we can make sure that you have directions. But a lot of people listen and we have a, a wonderful Tuesday night prayer group. Uh, and I'm, it's possible that in our prayer group tomorrow night, there will be someone who lives out in the San Jose area who would be willing to um, uh, traffic you in with them uh, for Wednesday night classes. In fact, I know that we have people coming from uh, San Jose. That's just, it has always been that case. I feel so sorry too for that simply because over the last, and we've been doing Bible studies, women's theology class now for about 10 years, uh, and the traffic is getting worse and worse and worse. And so it's almost like an impediment to come from San Jose to Hayward, uh, especially during traffic time because class does start at seven and uh, it, it's it's a beast, but it's it works fine if there's two or three sisters in the car together. So, Michelle, if you want to uh, call our office and leave your information, I'll see to it that um, that they um, that they get it. And if not, I'll give you one suggestion. Um, if you want to come out the first time, uh, then we can just make the announcements because we frequently do that because we rather have women driving together to get the fellowship in and stuff like that. We let we we say. Hey, where are you guys coming from? Why don't y'all group up in uh, in traffic together? Uh, things of that nature. But if you if you just want to wait for a call, I'll, we'll make sure we get that out, and maybe you can make it for the second week on three. We're having a fast course for ten weeks, so um, if you're going to make it, you definitely want to be able to uh, do do all ten of the weeks because it's it's critical thinking, but it's rich fellowship and it's poignant uh, and it's very edifying. So we would look forward to having you. And I would love to be there. So can I have the uh, church number? Yeah. And I'll call the church. And yep. I'll give it to you as soon as you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. The number is 510-886-9782. 510 
888-382, and you can talk to any of uh, in our secretaries. There'll be two answering the phone, and they'll be glad to assist you. I thank you very much. You right. have a pleasant evening. You too. Bless you. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'll take you, Paul, on line two. There's two lines open, one 888 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And the time 648 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We are winding down. Let me go to line number two and talk with Paul in Alameda. Paul, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Um, I want to make three points about being single in the Christian church. Um, The first is the Apostle Paul says that it's better to be single so you can serve Christ better. But my experience is that singles are treated like second-class citizens by the church, especially since churches are supposed to be so family-oriented and cater to families. And that's the first point. The second point is, especially for singles like myself who are called into leadership, it's still expected that you have a wife and kids. Like if I wanted to be an elder or even a senior pastor, it's hard for a senior pastor who's single to supervise children's church and help parents raise their kids when they don't have any kids themselves. And the third point I'd like to make is that... um, Christian women don't want to talk to you unless they want to marry you, and so that makes it hard to have emotionally healthy relationships um, with persons of the opposite gender that don't lead to marriage. So those are my three points. Is it, is all, is it all that you wanted to do is give three points? Well, I mean, I want to discuss them. I mean, you know, hopefully you'll have something to say, and then... Mm-hmm. Uh, I can. Well, they're anecdotal to you. You know that. That means that that's your experience and that's your position and that's your assertion. But, you know, that's not a universal truth. So even though you set those out as points, um, Paul, that's not true for everybody. That's the first thing. And so what I would say is that on a theological level, what you want to do is probably have a more balanced understanding of the text that you are using as a justification for singlehood. First Corinthians chapter seven is contextual and the context is clear with regards to the tribulation that was dominating the church at that time. And it was having its way against the Corinthians. So that Paul was correcting a lot of things in the Corinthian church all the way back to fornication, uh, you know, back in the fifth chapter and then moving into uh, the seventh chapter with how uh, Christians ought not to abandon the marriage principle because of tribulation. But in the context of that particular trial in Thalipses that they were going through, he was saying to endure tribulation, it's wiser to be single because you don't have to worry about protecting a wife or children from the consequences consequences of persecution that come against a robust Christian faith. So we have to contextualize the the text there. Otherwise, if we lift that text up out of 1 Corinthians 7 and make it an axiom, we deny the whole principle of proliferation throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and we actually deny the fundamental paradigm of a husband-wife relationship between Christ and the church. And this is actually what Catholicism did. 
in the fourth century uh, on, and, and more or less not in the fourth century, but a little bit after Charlemagne, a thousand years where they really locked it into the priest not getting married. Now the Greek Orthodox Church didn't do that. The Latin, the the Latin, the Greek Church didn't do it, but the Latin Church did. The Latin Church thought that you could serve God better in a single status than in a marriage status, and. That was that was abominable because the vast majority of men did not have the gift of celibacy. So if we really want to contextualize it, what we would say is that culturally the church should be dominated by a family orientation uh, framework. It is true. You are correct. First Timothy chapter three lays out not only the necessity of marriage as a fundamental requisite for leadership in a church in order that that church might be healthy. That's absolutely true and inviolably so. But it also underscores a strict uh, gender specificity, and that is the man, which our women today don't like. So um, the reality is, is that God has set up the model of the church in a, uh, hus- a, a father-son, husband-wife paradigm. He's the king, and we're the servant. And largely that's designed in order to impact the world because the world by and large still operates out of the Genesis 1, 26, 27 first Adam framework. And that is to, 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 to join in holy matrimony, Genesis 2, 23 and 24, the twain become one flesh and then they have children and live out life in what is ostensibly a framework of safety, nurturing and care. This, however, does not mean that our singles are not important. It does mean that it's a bit of a challenge that the singles um, have in a local church. I would also affirm you in that you can have an experience in local churches as a single person where you will feel like a second-class citizen, but the church should work to overcome that, not by an egalitarianism that denies the primacy of a father, son, husband, wife paradigm in the scriptures, because the church is going to always, if it's healthy, have children, men and women, and the safety net for men, women, and children is marriage. Otherwise you get into cultic stuff where the the pastor, priest, father figure is uh, moving into dimensions and realms of emotional connection with women in the church and or men in the church, as is the case, again, with the Catholic Church, where inordinate relationships begin to abound. God has set up a safety net to help begin to curb that potential calamity by having the church um, framed through families. And I'll say, finally, I do take into consideration the sensitivity needed for uh, us to respect the uh, the needs and wants of, of, of a single person. If we wanted to be, uh, you know, sort of crass about it relative to the biblical standards of leadership, you are right, uh, Paul, that you would not be qualified for biblical leadership <clears throat> uh, if, if you take the New Testament seriously. Now, if you want to do like a lot of churches do, just abandon the biblical requisites of leadership, First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, um, uh, Genesis chapter 18, Exodus chapter 18, rather, and the plethora of examples laid out in the scriptures, then you you know, you could do that. Are you saying that, are you saying that all elders have to be married? Absolutely. That Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying, that the only reason that they wouldn't be married is if their uh, spouses divorced them unlawfully or their spouses died and they remain elders emeritus. That is, they were elders when they were established lawfully. But if their parents, if their wife died, then they remain, retain their eldership. 
uh, after the death of their wife or the unlawful divorce of the wife. And we would aspire to them recovering that marriage status if they are young enough to do it, and particularly if they don't have the gift of celibacy by the time that marriage dissolved one way or the other. But kind begets kind. You do not want single leadership governing churches where you have families coming into the church. You just don't want that. History has proven the utter danger of the elders and the pastor and the deacons being single men. It does not work. And I mean, if you have both married men and single men, you have different perspectives, different point of view. Points of view are, are secondary, uh, Paul, to, to biblical exposition and an application of the gospel to the church points of view. But I would say this, you don't necessarily need to be an official elder or pastor um, or deacon to serve in a role of influence and leadership in the church as a single person. Let's say you are gifted. Uh, You have a good handle on the Bible. You have a track record of obedience to Christ. You have a, a, a very clear testimony of love to the saints and you're single. Uh, we're we're going to find a way to make your gifted experience useful in the church, not just only to singles, but to married people, too. You're just not going to be able to occupy the offices that have explicitly stated uh, requisites for leadership in the church. We can't do that and expect the church to be blessed. And I'm sure you agree with that. So there are lots of churches who have learned how to employ a single persons in very strategically uh, significant and influential positions in the church. We have a women's ministry and, and a number of our women are single who play a major role in, in uh, edifying and building up and encouraging our, um, our women, uh, married and daughters. And the same is true with our men's meetings and our men's gatherings as well, Paul. We have men who are single who play a significant role now that they're free from any kind of uh, domestic duties to encourage the young men who are single and who are aspiring either to marriage or ministry. Uh, So, yeah, you guys are still very much useful, but you don't you don't have the right to pursue those offices that are prescribed scripturally with explicit prerequisites to them. We can't just countermand them just because you're gifted or just because you want to. That's the apostate church. That's where we are today in the 21st century church, where every man is is a law unto himself and is doing what is right in his own eyes. And God never really ultimately blesses that. So let's kind of close out this way. I think that you have a point. I think you do in terms of the possibility of being in environments where the singles can feel uh, made to be second class. But there's ways around it without abandoning the framework and structure of Scripture. So I'm going to pray for that for you as well as others. Thanks for the call. Very sobering. All right, you guys. Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night. Ladies, let's get it on Friday night. Brothers and sisters, let's worship the Lamb. Sunday, let's rejoice in the resurrection. Until next time, God bless you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.